Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years now and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. I'm gonna run solo just for a little bit here in the beginning, uh, covering some news and mail. Uh, After that, uh, Dr. Nelson and I, after the break, uh, are going to tackle the top 10 food trends, uh, according to ift.org and their publication, uh, and how they relate to lifters, what we do ourselves as far as some of these Uh, food categories, these food trends. But I digress. Let me get to a little bit of news and mail. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Let's start with the science news. Um, This is through the Institute of Food Technologists, a new study in uh, PLOS One, uh, Public Library of Science One, Uh, This is Dr. David Neiman's group, uh, suggests that banana metabolites may inhibit COX-2 messenger RNA expression. Now, COX-2 is an enzyme that essentially leads to inflammation, uh, and ibuprofen is often used by athletes, uh, Phil and I use it ourselves, to inhibit inflammation, you know, joint and tendon kind of inflammation. So they were hoping, I think, that bananas might do something similar. Uh, It says the study, metabolic recovery from heavy exertion following banana compared to sugar beverage or water-only ingestion. Um, Essentially took a look at this using a randomized crossover uh, counterbalanced approach. So this is a very strong design. 20 cyclists basically did a 75-kilometer time trial. with two-week washouts in between them. So they're having these guys do this sort of stressful exercise. Um, The night before, they fasted, but then they ingested one of the following, either a Cavendish banana, a mini yellow banana, a 6% sugar solution, or water only. Uh, The two bananas have similar carb content, but the mini yellow bananas have 63% more polyphenols. So sort of phytochemical, antioxidant type things. Um, They took blood samples repeatedly at time zero, you know, throughout the time trial, and then about one and two days afterwards. Uh, The researchers found that consuming the Cavendish or mini yellow banana, uh, there was a significant increase in 18 banana-derived metabolites, again, in the samples from the subjects, Uh, including serotonin and dopamine, which a lot of us know are feel-good neurotransmitters. Uh, The appearance of the metabolites coincided with a reduction in COX-2 messenger RNA expression. And again, think about messenger RNA as an early message in a cell that's going to lead to the formation of COX as an enzyme, COX, and to inflammation. So seeing less of this message, this messenger RNA in the cells, 
presumably because of the, the banana metabolites and the banana intake uh, would be an anti-inflammatory, anti-swelling, anti-pain uh, sign, at least a sign that, that that could be well be happening. And again, so to reinforce that, it says a reduction in COX-2, COX-2, mRNA expression usually results, again, less inflammation, less swelling, less perception of pain. Um, and there are also apparently some antioxidant functions that helped with I immune cells. Uh, and then this piece finishes by saying ibuprofen is the number one drug taken by athletes to combat inflammation because of its effects on COX-2, etc. So very interesting stuff. I did pull the study, and it is, in fact, David Neiman and his group. Um, and for their conclusions on the abstract, it says carb ingestion from bananas or a sugar beverage had a comparable influence in attenuating metabolic perturbations and inflammation following 75-kilometer cycling. I know a lot of us aren't cyclists, but again, they're using that as sort of an intense, stressful kind of exercise. Um, so I'm I'm not convinced that there's anything super special about bananas, but yeah, if you're going to get the extra polyphenols and whatnot compared to just having a, you know, a Gatorade, for example, um, not a bad idea. There's some interesting compounds in, in bananas that have been getting my attention for about two years. So interesting stuff about bananas and recovery. All right, on to some mail. I just wanted to share a few cool things from J.P. Price, a big boy himself, cool guy, uh, that led up to our interview with Marty and Captain Kirk. And then after we did that, just said some nice things I thought I would share uh, in um, some mail. He says, thanks again, guys. I've gotten into the habit of listening to Iron Radio while I work. Great content and synergy. Uh, if I can recommend anything to you while interviewing these guys, dig as deep as you want. You won't be disappointed. They've commented on other podcasts that they've done and said that the host will ask a question but not follow up on any of the questions. But I know you guys will do great. Uh, thank you, JP. And then afterwards, he says, you guys really nailed it. Marty and Kirk have so much info and experience to share. It's always rewarding to have guys like you pull it out of them for the public to enjoy. Um they don't make guys like this anymore. JP, I agree with that. They they really don't. The Renaissance man kind of stuff. And um, listeners didn't hear it, but during the break, I referred to Marty as a bit of a curmudgeon. He's like, who are you calling a curmudgeon? And I said, listen, you can't, don't assume that that's, that's a negative for me, right? I quite like that idea, that kind of guy who knows who he is. And, you know, those guys were Renaissance men with their education and their physicality, all of the above. So, um Part of me really likes that, right? Uncompromising, uh, tell it like it is, uh, kind of older dude. Anyway, um, we've been in talks with these guys about doing an, another episode in a couple of months because it went pretty well. And, and again, those are the kinds of guys who we really want to share their experience uh, with younger listeners. Or and, and again, it's not that Kirk is that old. Kirk's just a little bit older than I am. Um, Marty's a little bit older being sort of the coach to Kirk, of course, but uh, good stuff out of those guys, and we would love to have them back on, um, and we probably will. So thanks, JP, again. Uh, cool stuff. We need to get you back on, brother, actually. Lastly, in mail, we also got um, an email from uh, Grant. Grant's been on the show before. Um, 
former biochemistry student now in medical school, he was asking, and I'm going to paraphrase this because we actually lost the original audio of Dr. Nelson and I addressing this, um, whether or not the population, when we talk about people who are fast or slow caffeine metabolizers, could it simply be that someone is inducing these uh, CYP1A2 uh, enzymes through their habitual intake of coffee or not. In other words, enzymes that are inducible, they will respond to your lifestyle and go up or down, just like muscle mass might go up or down if your lifestyle includes weightlifting, something like that. So if you're regularly consuming coffee, these enzymes get induced, sort of multiply, if you will, and they will help you break down that coffee more actively. Uh, so Grant's question was about that. Like, could we simply be looking at, if we say half the population are fast caffeine metabolizers, could that be, an in, they're just in an induced state, right? They've got the enzymes ramped up from their usual intake. Or could the slow metabolizers, which are purportedly about 10% of the population, maybe they're just caffeine naive and they're not drinking as much. Uh, I think, Grant, and again, uh, Dr. Nelson sort of agreed with this, when they say what percentage of the population, they're just looking at genotype, right? They're just looking at your genetic blueprint and not something that's, to me, more phenotypical, like the expression of, the, of these enzymes, right? It, how induced they are, how ramped up they are. So when we say 50% of the population is fast, I think that's literally just uh, from you know saliva or cheek swab DNA, and they're just looking at the blueprint, and they're not uh, muddying the waters with how induced they are by someone's usual coffee or tea you know or energy drink intake um, so that's sort of a simplistic way to look at that but uh, dr nelson is working on a review paper uh, for the journal of the issn right now and so he's in contact with one of the authors actually of uh, that study that we are talking about in recent weeks so um that's what i can offer as far as that now uh, and your other question, we're going to table uh, for Phil and his hip replacement, because I know you're interested in orthopedics, obviously, uh, and we will get to that coming up. So having said that, we are going to go to break, uh, and afterwards, Dr. Nelson and I will tackle uh, food trends, what's happening, what are some of the different categories that the IFT, the Institute of Food Technologists, are pointing to, and how they might apply to lifters and ourselves. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. 
So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's uh, Dr. Nelson and myself, Dr. Lowry. We are going to be doctors <laughs> as, we, <laughs> as we look over some time. Not really. some science and some trends and, and that sort of thing. Right, not physicians. We're not physicians. Um, we're, we're, you know, I think it was – I think it's Darren Willoughby says, you know, I'm no, no, no. I'm the real doctor. I'm a PhD. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, all my friends who are MDs now, you know, are going to be salty. All right. So let's – I wanted to take a look at something that was in literally April 18, Food Technology uh, Magazine slash Journal. I'm not sure really what to call this publication. It's sort of a quasi-scientific uh, but very attractive for the lay consumer kind of magazine. Um, and they have a cover story of top functional food trends. And there's 10 in here, and we're only going to talk about the top three, maybe one other uh, outside of this. Uh, so I thought what we would do is, of course, as we, we are wont to do, is apply this to lifters, right? Because everything that we do with fitness and nutrition, <clears throat> it has the common denominator, really, of you know uh, barbells. <laughs> so this the number one um, trend that they are mentioning here is instant nutrition. So let me offer you some facts, and then I got some questions for you, Dr. Mike. Um, says quick and easy ways to ensure a healthier lifestyle are in high demand. Um, things like functional snacks, nutrient-dense munchies, uh, things of that nature. It says like sports nutrition and protein powders are projected to reach sales of $5.4 billion dollars. This coming year, Ooh. up 6.6% in 2018. Uh, it says two in five adults skip breakfast in favor of just drinking a protein-rich meal replacement beverage. Uh, it says in 2017, 76% of adults use dietary supplements, which is an all-time high, according to Council for Responsible Nutrition 2017. 
they in also include a graph here of some of the ingredients that people are seeking, uh, presumably when it comes to some of these you know, instant nutrition types of issues. Number one that people sought as far as adding things to their diet, fiber. Uh, number two mm. was protein, and number three was vitamin D. So we're talking about right around 60% of people, of consumers, adding fiber, protein, and vitamin D. To me, that's the kind of thing we've talked about for ages, and it's almost like the gen pop is finally taking a hint from what maybe lifters have sought for the longest time, you know, the connection with vitamin D and strength maybe, or testosterone, even if it's it's not, you know, uh, universal, but, or the protein focus, you know, the fiber. Uh, quite a ways down the list, we have omega-3 and fish oil. Two, three, four, five, six. So like right around number 10. So that's also a common thing that we do as, as lifters. But so my questions for you, Mike, in this instant nutrition category, um, do you see this? And if so, how? Uh, I think so. I mean, most, a lot of people I work with, like breakfast tends to be, I think one of the harder ones and people tend to grab something that's the easiest. So like one thing I do, and I'm actually drinking it right now, I got it from my buddy, Mike Bledsoe is just making this like super smoothie. I know John Berardi had a lot of stuff like that on that, that I've stole a lot of stuff from him too. And I'll add fiber or I'll add some other uh, components to it in the morning yeah. A lot of times I've noticed lately when I'm writing nutrition plans for clients and just advising them, I'll look to see what they normally have for breakfast. And if it's like a shake or a bar or something like that, I'm probably going to try to stay with that because that usually tells me that they're just throwing something in and running out the door. Um, so I, th I think that's probably a you know, pretty good trend. People are trying to get more protein, trying to get more fiber. You know, Maybe the next trend will be trying to add more micronutrition to it, but... Yeah, I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Now, this is a pretty comprehensive list of what people do add. I'm just trying to stick this stuff that's more in the, you know, 50, 60% of consumer range. There's quite a, a few things on here. Um, yeah, the instant thing, I mean, I just did it this morning. I slammed one of those premier protein, those ready-to-drink things. Oh, I, yeah. It's like a whey casein mix. And so my wife will grab those from Sam's Club because they're cheap. Uh, you don't have to refrigerate them. I mean, just the packaging science behind that is amazing to me, you know. Yeah, it is. Uh, you would think, oh, suck it up, Lowry. Just put some powder in a water bottle or, a, you know, bottle of some sort and, you know, rehydrate it at work. But I literally drink that less often. Like, it, it sounds incredibly spoiled of me, but when I'm teaching back to back to back, three classes in a row, say, in the morning, and then I'm down in the lab – I literally don't think to go grab the bottle and go fill it with water, shake it up, you know, but, but I will grab the ready-to-drink little cardboardy, you know, box, juice box type thing, a protein, and slam it. So it's amazing to me that that one step of just having it already in fluid form, it does matter. I mean, it's that instant, and I do consume more protein that way. And you know what it's like, Mike, you get wrapped up in what you're doing. You look at the clock and you're like, oh, my God, I haven't had any protein, you know, for six hours, you know, something like that. And so yeah. and we both did some work for a company in the past and they sent us 
uh, like there's a 40 grams of protein in a little Tetra pack. And, you know, same idea, right? You didn't need to refrigerate it. And the same idea, I thought at first, I'm like, this is the stupidest idea. I'm like, who doesn't really have time to add water to their protein? Right, right. And what I found was, especially doing my PhD and working and everything else, is like, holy crap, that's actually, I used it way more than I thought I would. Yeah, I did too, I admit. Um, and, you know, what else I had this morning? I had a Millville little um, fiber brownie type thing they're sort of lower sugar higher fiber but again instant right like oh and i'm drinking via instant coffee in my mug (laughs) so uh, i'm definitely buying into a lot of this kind of stuff especially i think if you can read the label and say yeah that's got five grams of fiber or gosh there's only you know a single digit grams of sugar in there you know it's not completely random it's not just for the instant it's sort of a balance between what's in it and, and is it instant, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about with the, the cases of the, the ready-to-drinks that we got in the past. That's actually what turned me on to this, right? Like, yeah, I'm like, sure. hey, that that really increased my intake. Um, any advice, my second question about this instant type stuff, any advice you might have for listeners as far as, you know, instant nutrition, like Fast but functional, instant nutrition. Yeah, I have people either mix it up sometimes the night before, or like if I'm making a little bit more complicated smoothie that has a few more ingredients, and I'm putting in protein and creatine, and I've been using a lot more mushroom extracts and things of that nature lately. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm mixing it up in the in the mornings, like sometimes on a weekend, I'll take the dry ingredients and put them in another container and have them already pre-mixed. So that I don't have to go back into you know four or five different containers, and because they're dry, they just keep really well. So I'll take an extra container, put that in there. So when I get up in the morning, I literally just have to dump that with some frozen berries into the the blender and turn it on, and I'm good to go. So I found that even by taking the dry ingredients and having them pre-combined, that was good. And then even trying to do that the night before. So I wake up and it's already, you know, done and in the fridge and in a sealed container. So I just grab that and go. I found that that's been super useful. And then beyond that, I have my little morning routine, especially uh, somewhat when I travel, but more so when I'm at home, home of all the little steps I go through and trying to just spend the time the night before to get everything ready. So in the morning, I just kind of have to walk through my little checklist and everything's good and I'm ready to go instead of running around feeling kind of a frantic in the mornings. Yeah, yeah. It does say here, sales of functional snacks are projected to reach $8.5 billion by 2020, up 11% wow. per, per year. So it continues to, to climb. Uh, and again, the snack category, the instant category. Um, and it says, 6 in 10 want snacks to deliver health benefits beyond nutrition. And I find that almost odd. Uh, I think what they mean is things like a sense of energy, energy boost, you know, cognition. um, I don't know, something beyond just their proteins, carbs, and fats, presumably. You know, some micronutrients or um, phytochemicals, maybe, you know, that kind of thing. So, okay, so that was the first one, which was instant. The next category, I think, is very similar, but again, with the Gen Pop, borrowing a page from our playbook. Fit Consumers says there's a new demographic 
of consumers who incorporate exercise into their daily routine, and they are driving uh, the $42 billion sports nutrition sector. It says, it says, ironically, those age 65 and older are the most likely to include exercise and therefore nutrition products as support of this um, as part of their lifestyle, with 55% making that claim, again, that they are likely to include exercise in their daily lives versus just 38% of those age 18 to 34 according to Mintel, and here's a reference. Um, anyway, so, yeah, fastest growth, it looks like, or the most reporting are actually the older guys and gals, not necessarily millennial-type age. Uh, what are they doing? It says number one form of activity, walking. America's top sport-slash-exercise activity is, is just walking, and I think we're all fans of that in the past. Like, that's yeah. actually something I'm going to do today. I am rocked. From just doing lots of chins and rows, and and I, I did a whole upper body kind of session, and just some medium heavy dumbbell presses, stuff like that. And I am ruined, and I'm thinking I don't want to drive to the gym just to get on an elliptical because that doesn't hurt my yeah, knee, and I can yeah. do that. But I, it's not enough of a draw. So yeah, as soon as the weather dries up, I'm just going to go hike a little bit. I don't know. So I could see that. You know that even plays a role with people who are lifters. It says sales of sports and energy drinks are projected to reach 23 billion in 2018, which is up 5%. Um, Ready-to-drink coffee and tea sales are up 14 and 7%, respectively. Hmm. So, again, I was just talking about the VIA, you know, ready-to-drink coffee stuff. And, again, back to our previous category, functional coffees, you know, just the simple fact that it's instant or it tastes good. Um, so that a couple of years ago when we were in Japan, too, we saw a lot of ready-to-drink coffee products with fiber and all sorts of stuff. Oh, know? right, like in cans, right? Yeah. yeah, totally. Yep. So interesting stuff about how exercise, even if it's just walking for older folks, I mean, people are trying to incorporate that. And again, remember, this, these are functional food trends. So everything we're talking about is in support of something, whether it's a tight schedule and needing it instant you know, or whether you're for fitness and it's a pre-workout or a, a coffee or tea in some way, um, you know, sleep, all that kind of stuff. But so people are trying to incorporate fitness because they're realizing that that's a trigger that makes you sort of, you know, different. And that's a whole, you know, demographic. Um, I guess the same questions with that, Mike. I mean, obviously you see this with your clients, like exercise is part oh, yeah. of this they're not coming to you i don't know do you have people come to you just for diet or is it always exercise related uh it's pretty much both because in general i rarely do nutrition only or i rarely do training only yeah and the only times i really do that is if i know the other person they're working with or the person themselves i know is like super capable in those areas because it never fails like it's usually body comp and performance related and they're like, I need help with training. And you look at the nutrition, it's a disaster. But, oh, they don't think that's the problem and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so I do that with a, a few people, but most of the time it's, it's both of them. It does make a lot of sense. I mean, things like carbohydrate intake, to me, how do you separate that from how physically active you are? You know, right. the, the amount of grams of carbohydrates you're going to have every day and when you consume them maybe as well is, yeah, it's going to be related to, are you lifting, bro? you know yeah so uh 
the other question, just the same two questions for each one of these categories, any advice along these lines? So for fitness consumers, I mean, because this is what you do, you may have, we could do multiple episodes on this, but um, I don't know, maybe a tidbit as far as advice for fit consumers and what they should be seeking as far as food products to support their lifestyle. Yeah, I think it goes back to, sadly, a lot of times it's convenience. You know, what are they going to be able to fit into their lifestyle? I think everyone in general overestimates how much change they're actually able to do. And they can kind of be sort of motivated with that for like a week or two, and then they kind of fall back to where they were. So I like trying to do a little bit <clears throat> smaller changes, you know, especially if they're you know, super into it at first, I'll probably give them more than what they need and explain to them, here's the main things that we're tracking you on. But at the end of each program, I have a little compliance sheet and I may only have one, two, three, or four items on there, but I may give them everything else they need from, you know, kind of a complete meal plan, macros, lifestyle, HRV, walking, all that other kind of stuff. So if they want to go above and beyond, they can, they've got all the information but I'm really hyper-focused on, okay, here's kind of your top one to three things I really want you to, to focus on so that they kind of stay on track and they can keep doing it sustainable. And I think that's what I found over time is the biggest thing. Everyone does great for <clears throat> a couple of weeks and then, you know, month two, month three, month six, that's, you have to make it something that's a smaller change that's also sustainable, yep. which as we talked about comes back to, you know, things that kind of make their life a little bit easier. You're expecting them to cook a five-course meal every day. That's just not going to happen for most people. Right. Now, also in this, interesting to me, in this fitness consumers category of functional food trends, it says 8 in 10 millennials and 67% of Gen Xers and boomers believe that food impacts their energy and mental clarity. 70% of consumers want more foods and beverages to help with uh, brain health. It says brain health slash cognition slash alertness top the list of the biggest new opportunities for targeted nutrition products uh, in a 2017 survey of nutraceutical manufacturers. So that's um, Polito 2017. So you think that's kind of the overlap of the energy trend is now <clears throat> people are more worried about brain fog and all these other things that it's just kind of a progression from that perhaps. Yeah. No. Uh, yes, I do. Um, when I'm looking at this category as as a whole, um, there's a lot of discussion about caffeine, about energy drinks, about, well, caffeine in almost anything. There's sparkling waters with caffeine. Yeah. You know, there's gum. Um, and you're right. I think it, it's almost like the sweetener versus artificial sweetener versus sugar trend. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. Yeah. I mean, they're looking for, I don't know, better ways to I don't know, meet these needs. And I, I do think it's cool that they're talking about the mental and the physical together. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it does say two-thirds of consumers are looking for foods and beverages to help build their physical strength and muscle, according to mm -hmm. FMI 2016. And again, there's too many references here in this article. I would just point everybody to the, um, again, it's the top functional food trends, top 10 functional food trends from Food Technology Magazine, uh, ift.org. So you could go dig on this kind of stuff. But uh, it says only 30% of those age 18 to 34 meet the NIH guidelines for muscle strengthening activities. Uh, so th this 
demographic of the people who incorporate fitness, obviously they're more interested in the building muscle and then cognition as well. And Mike, I think you and I are probably in agreement with this. I think a lot of lifters, they want to self-actualize and improve both mind and body. You know, they don't, yeah. it's not just, they, they don't want to fall into this stereotype of just being sort of the big, dumb, slow lifter. They want to actually, they're very excited by the enhancement and improvement, I, I think, physical and mental, you know, so it's, it's interesting. Again, they lump that all into the fitness category. So, um, number three, because I know you need to get going here. Uh, this is a fun one, though. Role reversals. It says after decades of you know, nutritional villains, for example, like butter, um, a lot of this stuff is back in dietary vogue, uh, partly driven by trends like keto and paleo. And I'm sure you can you know, identify oh, yeah. that, you know, and like, you know, the paleo effects right now as we record, <laughs> there you go. Right. You know, a, a coconut oil in your coffee and things like that. Like, yeah. you know, most dietitians I know would say, Oh, that's saturated fat. You can't do that. You know, well, <laughs> it's 60% MCT. You know, you, you got to kind of think a little deeper than just the fact that it's a saturated fat, I think, but here's some numbers. Whole milk sales jumped 4% up to 4.8 billion uh, as of, November 5th, 2017, um, volume growth for fat-free cheeses fell 18% in 2017. So again, people are embracing things like whole milk and butter and stepping away from the fat-free, low-fat stuff. It says nearly half of adults now believe that unprocessed meat is good for your health, according to Nielsen, 2017. Oh. Um, only 17% say that plant-based proteins offer superior nutritional value. Well, that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't <laughs> know. That's, right. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, plant proteins tend to be incomplete. I, I don't know. They're missing essential amino acids. What? So that's, that's correct. <laughs> Pictures of that are complete and the dose you need is about twice that away. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's plenty of papers on yeah, soy and peanut, just not doing what a dairy protein would do, for example, you know, for muscle protein synthesis. And um, there's some pictures in here of instant products that include egg as well. I didn't see a lot of stuff on eggs in here, but that those are the other ones, right? Eggs also get over the decades, and you know this as well as I do, mm -hmm. demonized by some, some, some studies saying it's like smoking X number of cigarettes a day, you know, just to eat <laughs> eggs. It's absurd. That is absurd to me. Um, especially if you can get free range eggs or some, you know, some of them have more vitamin D or some omega three fats in them. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a neat trend, this role reversal trend where people are embracing certain saturated fats or unprocessed meats. Um, and they're, they're not spending a lot of extra money on the fat free stuff because so often that has weird emulsifiers in it, you know, what, like carboxymethylcellulose and the gums and, you know, and they're just maybe steering away from weird processed l low fat things and just eating some fat. Um, any thoughts you yeah. have about that? Like you said, you are actually at a paleo meeting. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I think especially I've been here at Paleo Effects probably the last what five or six years, and so it's interesting to see in this this beer here. That's been kind of the trend for a while, and now it's kind of spreading everywhere, which is good. And even 
it's always boggled my mind, like things like cheese that, you know, naturally have a high amount of fat. That's just what cheese is. And yes. then to see something that's like low, low fat, no fat cheese. I'm like, what the hell's in that? Right. Like, what is that? What's it made of then? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, this says perhaps most startling is a reversal to natural sweeteners. Sugar, honey, maple syrup, coconut syrup, and dried fruit. Only one in five has a positive opinion of low-cal uh, sweeteners, like artificial sweeteners. So I'm not a fan for people eating more sugar necessarily. Again, depends on your lifestyle and physical activity and whatnot. But um, that, that is another good example of that. You know, So sugars, often demonized, but it, again, one in five actually like low-cal artificial sweeteners. So they're actually turning to more natural or fine. This is all sort of, to me, that clean label trend, you know, where people just, they want fewer ingredients. They don't want to see 25 ingredients in something that should just be, you know, like you said, cheese is like fat and protein. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want 25 ingredients that I can't pronounce in there. Um, yeah. And we saw a lot of that when we were at the, the IFD meeting in Vegas last year. You know, a lot of stuff looking at, you know, natural uh, coloring, whether it's beta carotene and other things like that, to more of the quote unquote natural sweeteners like stevia. And I did a stevia taste testing of like the three different types of stevia, depending on how it's, you know, manufactured and things like, you know, monk fruit and other things that they're trying to. You know, it looks like get away from more artificial stuff and trying to go the quote-unquote more natural route. Right. In fact, that's that's a whole category in this, too, that we probably won't address. But listeners might want to know what you do personally, Mike, as far as, you know, balking the trends. Like, I know that you've put – I'm almost sure it was you – that years ago you were putting heavy whipping cream in your coffee. Weren't you? I did for a while, yeah. <laughs> um, like, that's balking the trend, right? Like, most dietitians would be like, oh, that's saturated fat, you know. Uh, yeah. So how do you balk? How do you balk the trends? Uh, I mean, I did that for a while, and that was just when I was trying to get more calories in. You know, it's like, oh, it tastes good, and you know, if you use like full whipping cream, you can get a lot of calories in just a short amount of volume too. You know, and it was again a convenience type thing. Um, I don't know. I guess I kind of. I mean, now especially, I probably eat more carbohydrates than most people. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had, you know, an oral glucose, a continuous glucose monitor. So I've tested myself eating two Pop-Tarts and two cookies for breakfast and I didn't go above 120. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> don't get too worried about that. Um, we were having dinner here last night with, uh, the guy who does a lot of, um, kale who's been on the program here before does a lot of uh, movie work and stuff. And he's, you know, a huge, big dude. And I was asking him, and I said, we had this running joke about, you know, carbohydrates are not evil. And I said, well, how many carbs a day do you eat? And he's like, oh, only like 200. I'm like, wow, that seems pretty low for a big dude who's training, you know, one to two times a day. Yeah. And then as we got into it further, he's like, well, you know, I eat, you know, a pint of ice cream on Friday nights. I usually go out on Saturday. And <laughs> so weekends, he uses a lot more carbohydrates also. I got it. So I think we're. We're seeing, you know, people who lift in general, probably more carbs, I think, is becoming a little bit more trendier, although that's been around for a while. Um, yeah. yeah, other than that, I think micronutrition is becoming a little bit more in vogue, and that's something I've been 
working on myself and with clients probably more the past couple of years. And I just see more and more information on that coming out and eating different colors and trying to get more polyphenols and, and other things that aren't really kind of standard, you know, vitamins and nutrients. I think that's becoming more popular now. And I think my guess is that's the next sort of evolution of eating more natural, right? So you're going to see my guess is people sticking more polyphenols, maybe EGCG and, you know, you see turmeric and a lot of stuff now. I think that that whole trend is probably just going to continue. Right, which is actually I was going to dig this up as a as an afterthought, but number 9 on their list is that people are seeking bioactives, right? So it says uh, yes. 24% of adults overall feel they're not getting enough special nutrients according to FMI 2017. And again, people just go to ift.org if you want to check out this article. Uh, and some examples they said high on the list, like probiotics. And again, uh, we had Dr. Ruscio on talking about that. Mm -hmm. Turmeric, jackfruit, um, ginger, flaxseed, all top of the list as far as what people are purposely seeking. And again, sort of what I would call that as a broad category, that phytochemical or zoochemical category. They're not necessarily essential nutrients that you must consume or you'll get a deficiency disease you know like let's say vitamin c and scurvy but things that affect hormone and enzyme activity like you said egcg green tea i mean all that kind of stuff um like i'm just i'm doing that investigation here this spring early summer with uh, the bioactives in coffee you know i'm gonna see if i can't correlate them to the taste and and some other things as well like brew method you know and what it does to the bioactives so um, I think you and I are both, you know, very interested in that. So much of sports nutrition as far as pills and powders have moved into an herbal kind of range, and that's not new. That's yeah. been going on for decades, sometimes almost enough to make me uncomfortable. Like, you know, I'm not an herbologist. I'm not a toxicologist. Um, being a nutritionist, I'm usually focused on either essential or even non-essential kinds of nutrients like creatine maybe. But, but yeah, I mean, sometimes – that drifts into left field a little bit and you get people formulating these products who I think they just sort of luck out and not overdose or hurt people because it's they're selling based on price point and it keeps the, the you know, the dose down maybe. Um, but yeah, yeah, the bioactives thing. Sometimes about bioactives that, you know, like turmeric, you know, a lot of people will put black pepper in there because it's a, Cytochrome C, you know, 450 inhibitor, like kind of what we talked about a little bit with the, the enzymes and stuff related to caffeine. But yeah. you're purposely trying to not let your body get rid of it so you can get higher levels in your bloodstream. And, you know, that definitely works. And I think there's a good benefit to that if you're trying to control inflammation. But the second question is, if you're doing that to control inflammation, why is your inflammation super high? You know, so I get a a little concern sometimes it's probably not really founded on much that we're taking things that are found in nature and then we're trying to really boost their levels super high that mm, i think it can be beneficial but there's probably a cost somewhere with that so with that one you're you're actually changing the detox pathways in the liver so are you <clears throat> artificially pushing something else up uh, for me Personally, I'll use a different form of turmeric or turmeric with people, and I won't use like the black pepper in there if they're on any other medications. Yeah. Just because I don't want their levels of statins to be super high at the same time. 
again, I haven't seen any literature or any case reports even that that's bad, but yeah, in theory, you may have some interactions, and so I tend to kind of steer them in a different direction with that. That's good advice. Drug-nutrient interactions are a thing, right? And yeah, yeah. people start taking handfuls of different herbs. They could be interacting with meds. I mean, like, think about the classic St. Saint, Saint John's wort and antidepressant meds. That's just a no. Yeah, you know. And then, yeah, you're right. There's lots of examples of that. Like, one of the things that I'm we're going to actually present probably in the coming year is how women tend to get more out of a cup of coffee than men, especially if they're on birth control. Because, again, we're back to hmm. those P450 enzymes. They're busy breaking uh, yeah. down the estrogen so the women get higher caffeine concentrations in their blood from the coffee. Right. So it's interesting how these interactions work. And, and yeah, I mean, when I personally, if I take something like um, uh, curcumin or something like that, or I want to take uh, whatever kind of if I get into the herbal extract stuff, I try to separate them as much as I can. I mean, I know that with half lives and whatnot, there's I'm sure there's some overlap and what's in my bloodstream and, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, keeping in mind that some things everything is not a synergistic, positive, complementary interaction. Sometimes things interact in a bad way. And if you're on a ton of stuff, like I'm sure Phil would be like, well, just don't take it, you know, <laughs> 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 because he's, he's so straightforward with how he does that almost gentleman's farm, you know, make it yourself kind of stuff. But uh, as we wind down then, just very quickly, Mike, you personally, I mean, knowing that this may not apply to other people because of their inflammatory state or their genetics or whatever, um, any examples of what you've been pursuing as far as bioactives? I know you're up on the mushrooms and stuff. Yeah, I guess probably the main one I've been using lately is just more mushroom extracts. Um, I like reishi is probably the main one I've used, especially if it's periods of more higher stress. So when I was in uh, South Padre, Texas, I didn't really use it that much other than maybe a couple times a week. And then traveling here to Austin for paleo effects and then we're traveling again for the, the fitness summit the following weekend. I'll probably use it a little bit more now just because I know my body's going to be under a little bit more stress and yeah, sleeping and training is not going to be the same for the next couple days. Um, that seem, seems to help. Um, so I like those quite a bit. I played around a little bit with um, a Pau de Arco tea, which is supposed to have some kind of antiviral properties to it. Yeah, the research I can find on that is, is kind of split, um, but it's pretty inexpensive. doesn't taste um, too bad, so you can just make it as a tea, loose leaf tea. And then another one I got that I'm actually fond of with the company here is they make a powdered tea that's like an instant uh, tea, and it appears to be just tea and maybe a little bit of stevia or I'm not sure if they use much sweetener and the nice part is they're in little uh, self-contained little serving sizes and you can just add it directly to hot water so if people are familiar kind of with like a matcha tea so kind of a powdered instant tea mm -hmm. um, so I'm following up to get more information uh, from them while I'm here but that seems like kind of a cool product if we go back to you know things that are easy for people to add uh, I just threw a bunch of them you know, in my bag and been playing around with them as I'm wandering around here. And just like kind of the Starbucks, the Via concept, it's similar idea, but applied to tea. So that may be something cool where you can add it to a smoothie or you can just get hot water and add it to it and use it as an actual tea also. Yeah. Well, according to the art article, right, coffee and tea, like instant type things up 14 and 7% respectively. So that's, that's going to yeah. be a category. And you're right. That micro ground, like matcha, that's a good example. Like matcha, 
is more just like micro ground, you know, tea. Uh, it, yeah. it as opposed to what we might think instant tea in here in the United States, which is, you know, sugar. Is it pretty junk. horrible? Yeah, <laughs> right. Which is junk. So. All right, everyone. Um, I know Mike needs to jet. He's off another conference, of course, and we're yeah. going to wrap that up uh, for this week, and we'll see you next time. Go home. See you guys. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.